Hi there and welcome to the Book Realities Podcast, a series of interviews with independently minded authors where we explore their books, their writing techniques, and what made them become a writer in the first place. I'm your host, Ian Hooper, and as well as being an independent author, I also run the Book Reality Experience. Hi everybody and welcome to this latest episode when we're going to be talking to author Kerry Ann Spears who has contributed to two anthologies that National Press and Book Reality have brought out. Thanks very much for joining us, Kerry Ann, and thanks for taking the time. For anybody that doesn't know you, who are you, who's Kerry Ann, and where's where do you call home, and where are you talking to us from today? Okay, um, um, I'm Carrie Ann Spears. Um, I'm in Corain at the moment um, in Northern Ireland. Um, I, I've got like a bit of a weird um, background. I lived in London until I was 12. And then we moved over to Northern Ireland and lived in Portrush along the no- north coast of Northern Ireland. And so I've officially been here, I think, now 26 years. So I've been here longer than I've been in London. Been but in yeah, so I sort of think of London as home, but it's uh, when I'm in London, I think of here as home. So it's uh, it's one of those mm. things. My wife and I can both um, relate to that. She was born in London, but has grown up in Australia. And obviously I grew up in Northern Ireland, but have lived in England and London, and specifically in Stanmore in London. Whereabouts in London were you originally from? Uh, North London, Hackney. Um, right. I Yeah, it was, I lived on um, an estate in London um, with my, my, like my whole family came over um just before the troubles actually in the 60s they came over to England for work and so they stayed there for um 30 40 years and then 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 they decided just to pack up and go go back again so so you're on the North Antrim coast in a place called Colrain which I know well but for people that don't know Northern Ireland Port Rush was the place where everybody migrated to for their summer holidays it was the place where it had all the yeah. amusements and, and the great beaches did you have all of that experience when you were growing up was that was that what you knew yeah well um when we moved over um I could like it couldn't have been more of a change to go from a city to this well we moved over um at the very end of August so I got I and I'd had holidays in Portrush as a child but we got like a little slice of the summer season in Portrush and then it went into Portrush in the winter which is like a yeah you don't see anybody you could walk up and down the road and not see anybody for you know 30 minutes um so it was a completely different it was like quiet um completely sort of I don't know I wouldn't say desolate place but it was just a completely grim place compared to during the summer um and the weather as well once it gets to September it's like gales and just the wind whipping off the sea but it was um very atmospheric and it was a beautiful place to really settle down and I ended up working in as a teenager in Barry's which is the 
the place to be. The big um, amusement arcade. <laughs> yes, the big amusement arcade. So it was the place to be during the summer. So I was in there selling balloons and selling ice cream. So <laughs> it was good fun. So with that move from London to Northern Ireland and the seaside town in the summer and the more desolate place in the winter, did that all form you to write when you were young or did you just get into writing later? How did that come about? I haven't, I I don't um, really know when I started writing, to be honest, because I have always um, been telling stories. So when I was, I think I was five, I asked for a typewriter for my birthday <laughs> so I could write my stories on. So um, I've, I've always, always, um, I've always written, but um, yeah, Portrush, when I went, when I lived in Portrush and I was a teenager, I was always writing poems, poem after poem. And it was all very, you know, it was all very um, uh, like a, Wuthering Heights, it's all very dramatic and <laughs> bits of teenage yeah. angst thrown in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of lot of feelings in there. Um, yeah, but it definitely Portrush definitely helped with that. Um yeah, I don't think there was any point I can point at and say that's when I decided I wanted to be a writer. It was just uh I just just something that always happened. <laughs> but you've been very successful with short stories and poetry that you've sent into festivals and competitions. So, uh, I mean, I, th- I think I've lost count of the number that you've actually um, been recognised for, but you were recognised in the Bangor Literary Festival in Dublin and various others. Yeah. What, no, was that for prose or for poetry? Um, with the uh, Dublin, I think it was the Red Line Festival, it was a short story. Um it was um, a short story called The Infinite Universes of Maggie Lavery and um, Lavery. I always say that wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, and with um, Bangor, it was a flash fiction piece. But um, my I, I do write poems, but I am not keen on my own poems. It's like my own poems are like you know when you can hear yourself sing and you think oh that sounds a bit (laughs) that sounds a bit off that's what it sounds like to me when I read my poems um but with short stories I just love them I can um because I know both of them a lot of work goes into them but with short stories I feel like there's this more of a scope to explain what you mean whereas with a poem you're doing it with one line and it's it, and it can either hit or miss. And for me, it always sounds like it misses. See, but. that's interesting because if I go to, so North Star, which was the anthology we did of um, women from Northern Ireland or based yeah. in and around Northern Ireland. So your part of that was um, at your grandmother's table. But <clears throat> I would say that this was a poem. Now, it's quite prosy in places, but it it's definitely... To my ear, when I read it out loud, when it was originally the submission that we got, it definitely reads more like a poem than um, a short story prose piece. And it's it's beautiful. So it, it it's set with a woman going to visit her grandmother. Yeah. And yeah. So where, did, um, where did this come from? Was it from personal experience? Yes. 
that my grand my grandmother actually read that poem and she said oh, the, oh the, yes that's just me <laughs> so that's exactly I, I I sat down um to write a poem and I, I had a lot of trouble because because there was normally if I write a poem I'm just writing a poem uh, words come I write it down and maybe leave it and come back to it but there was a call out from Women Aloud to see if anybody wanted to um, write. Mm. And so I sat down thinking, I'm going to write a poem. And that <laughs> my mind went blank almost straight away. It was like <laughs> just nothing there. And then I just um, was thinking about my grandmother because it, during COVID, this was written all during the first lockdown mm. um, in the UK. And I was ringing her every day and there wasn't... A great deal for us to talk about except for the news so and she is a very big <laughs> news watcher so I was getting I was getting a you know a, a um you know the the news for the day every time I rang and so as I was calling her I was imagining her in her kitchen so I could I I, I was trying to like sort of conjure up the image of her standing in her kitchen talking to me and um that's when the poem sort of started because um it was just this sort of back and forth that we usually had at the at the kitchen table we would sit there and we would talk about things and she'd be like and she'd always make sure to wear something that I had bought her she would always be like this is the skirt you bought me or this is and so I mentioned in it the that's the blue cardigan that you got made your member that time so so that's where it sort of came from and a lot of my writing does come from my grandparents and my great aunts and that kind of thing because they were or they still are um great storytellers and that when when I'm trying to sit down to write a story or a poem a lot of the time it comes to me as though somebody's talking to me in the same way my granny would tell me a story she would go wait you hear wait you hear this and then she would launch into something <laughs> or one of my great aunts would say come here till I tell you this right. and then say something and that's the way my stories sort of start it's somebody just going come here to you, till I tell you this and then it's just sort of starts so they had a great tradition I mean your grandparents probably slightly younger than mine would have been but the same sort of generation where they were all naturally gifted storytellers that would sit around in the evenings in in living rooms filled more with cigarette smoke than with oxygen. Um, yeah. But they would tell stories and they would, weirdly, they would be able to recite poetry from Tennyson to, to silly poems, to rhymes, but they'd learnt them by rote when they were children. So storytelling came. There was a line in here, by the way, in this, in this particular poem, which I thought was superb, which is, and and she will tell you about a relative you don't remember meeting, because the amount of times that I was sat down by my parents or grandparents, and, oh, you, you'll remember Shuey. No, I've got no recollection of him. Oh, but he's your, <laughs> he's your aunt's second cousin's fifth cousin removed. And it's like, well, that's nice. I'm sure you remember him. No, I honestly don't. And it wouldn't stop them. They'd still fly into no. the story and tell them all about you. <laughs> Um, yeah it's that is the same that um 
the last time I had a conversation with my great aunts, they were telling me about somebody and they were like, oh, you know, my cousin that lives over the mountain. And I was like, what, what mountain? What are you talking about? And then it turned out they were from Mayo or something. It was like so far away, but it was not, just up the road. Not exactly over the next mountain down the road. Half no. a and in the in the second anthology that we brought out, the forgiveness is the hardest thing. Now, that, this wasn't just Northern Irish writers. This was um, women from across the world that we'd gone out to. And it was actually inspired by one particular woman writer who had said that she thought an anthology about um, particularly stories or poems about the forgiveness that was required or not required by society. And your story in here uh, the Nothing Box. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and what it's about and where it came from or how it was inspired? Yeah, um, so uh, when the call, you, I think it was you or maybe Jasmine sent out a call for stories um, or essays. Uh, and I thought about it for a while and I had been mulling over this um, story for a little while. And it was about a woman who is um dealing with anxiety and depression um after many years after a sexual assault and it's her trying to care for her child trying to sort of live her life but at the same time she just keeps getting reminded of this sexual assault um and she goes to counselor to um discuss it openly and somehow just from one line of something that the counsellor says then it feels as though that maybe the help that she's been looking for just hasn't really she hasn't really found it um but I had been sort of mulling that story over for quite a while because um I'm not the kind of person who um takes on people's negativity um I could I like there's a lot of people um especially around Northern Ireland who give you sort of a backhanded compliment you know and um and I would be the kind of person who laughs a second something like that happens but uh I know a lot of people who take on that sort of negativity and then it just you know it's just a continual negative thought pattern why did they say this so I was thinking about that um, a lot and then the call came out and I thought well I'll maybe give it I'll maybe give this story a go <laughs> and it was probably the hardest thing I've ever written it took me quite a long time to get it on the on to the page because usually if I've got a short story the first draft I can maybe in a couple of weeks get it completely onto the page and then start editing it but with this one I had such trouble especially um, I had a lot of trouble with deciding whether it would be in first person or third person. And then eventually I went for second person you, mm. because that just seemed to just open up the story rather than the everything else sort of put a barrier in the way. When I went first person, it felt like the person was very um, negative and uh, closed off. And um, third person just didn't work at all and then I went second person and then this person just this character just opened up completely and it was 
a lot easier than it just the pages just or the words just went on the page really easily. It's really interesting because there was, I mean, obviously within anthologies with so many different voices, the editing can be quite um, a task really because you can't, you, you can't um, over edit so that you take away the voice of the various writers that are coming in. But this, when, when we received your submission, there was practically nothing to be edited at all. It had obviously flowed from you, although you said that you'd had decisions to make about the people or the, the um, point of view, rather. And it, once you finally decided on that, it, it must have been written quite quickly or quite seamlessly because there, there was very little that was needing to be adjusted at all. Yeah, um, I think sometimes uh, when I'm having trouble with a with a, a story, um, I just keep going from different angles. I, I change the tense, I change the, the person. Um, and whenever you just sort of get that that point where um, things start to work, then it's just it's just really easy to to get those those words. Um, but it did. I did edit it a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot, <laughs> because um, I, I have a tendency to write things three times. So, you know, um, if I was writing something, I'd be like, well, he was tall and big and, <laughs> you know, it would, it would just continue. It would continue on until I found the right word. So I'm like a, I'm like a um, predictive text. It, it just keeps <laughs> just coming keep up. going until coming. it gets there. <laughs> Yeah. The one thing that I thought was remarkable about the story was so it, it deals with this woman going to counselling and, and how she's coping or, or not coping on occasion. But then the final scene is her taking her daughter to or picking her daughter up from school, rather. And she looks across the schoolyard and sees the man that has been responsible for her suffering all of this angst and trauma. And the way that it was dealt with, because there isn't a word spoken between them. But the way that you've written it and how he reacts it was really powerful. So how, how did you come up with that ending? Um, it was just, I think you, everybody's been in a situation where we're walking along, you know, and you see somebody that you know and you just maybe don't have the time <laughs> you don't have the time for them and you can see on their face and there was um a work colleague of mine and I bumped into him and it was the first time I'd seen him in five years and we had a conversation and we were like hey well wow you're still at the company and <laughs> and then I bumped into him the next week and I was like oh hey and then I bumped into him the next week. And as he was walking towards me, I could see on his face, he was thinking, oh, no, not, <laughs> not this person again. Like, we hadn't seen each other for five years the first time. That was fine. The second time, a bit to talk about. The third time, no. <laughs> so that sort, of, that sort of played on my mind, that idea that you see somebody and the moment you look at them, you can see on their face that they're not happy to see you. <laughs> And that sort of that sort of was on my mind that that could go into a story, and so it became a bit more of a serious thing than than it was the initial idea. But that's the way it goes sometimes. 
It really worked well. It really did. I know Mickey Flanagan, the London comedian, um, who actually comes from where you originally hailed from, up Hackney Way, and he said about there was um, you, you couldn't go back out if you'd already said hello to your neighbour twice in one morning because there was nothing to say to them the third time round. But same sort of thing. But yours took it a lot more serious. Um, yeah. As an ending to a story, I thought it was very, very powerful. So with those anthologies, you've obviously been writing for quite a long time and you're building towards your first complete set of short stories coming up. Yes, yes. It was planned for last November and then it got pushed to March and now it's getting pushed to later this year. I'm hoping October, but it's I'm having a problem with one story and um, it has really, I really don't want to abandon it, but it's really had a lot of um, work to, um, it's really taken a lot of work to get it finished. But um, yeah, I the first um, story in the anthology is going to be the one I met, mentioned earlier, the Infinite Universes of Maggie La- Lavery, Lavery, Lavery. See, I can't, <laughs> I can't say that name. I should have changed it. I knew it at the time. But Maggie Lavery. Um, and then, which has a slightly magic realism element to it. Well, I say slightly, I would say quite quite a large um, part of it. Um, and it's a story about um, a woman who has always had the ability since she was a child to split herself in two. So in any decision that she makes where there's sort of a yes, no, one way or the other answer she just splits herself in two and another universe is created where she takes the upper path and we're yeah and we're with the woman who has taken the safest path she's always said no to the opportunities that scare her and she's just at this point in her life where she really hasn't she really hasn't taken any risks and then um she is in the hospital um, at, uh, getting checked for breast cancer. And she is just, she's just thinking about her life and all these paths that she could have taken. So that was the first, that's the first story in the anthology. And it's, and it sort of sets you up for the rest of the anthology because quite a lot of them have a slightly magical element to it. But the majority of them are just sort of based around the North Coast. There's uh, quite a few that are based in around Port Rush and Port Stewart sort of area and Port Ballantrae, which is all sort of in on along that north coast Glens of Antrim kind of tour that you can do. So, yeah, I'm excited to, to get them finished. <laughs> That's where I'm at at the moment. But um, the most recent one I has taken a quite a long detour. It started at about 3,000 words and it's now up to... 9,000 words, which is quite a lot. That's good <laughs> so it's going to have to be, <laughs> it's going to have to be um, paired back quite a bit. So does the anthology have a title yet or have you not settled on that? I think I'm going to go with um, uh, the Infinite Universes of Maggie Lavery. Lavery. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think I'm going to go with that um, and and other stories um but it is pretty much done it's it's that 
95%, it's all the rest of the stories have been edited and they're already formatted. It's just this one last story just needs. And needs, is it being, who's publishing this one for you? I'm going to be publishing it um, independently. Um, I had thought about um, sending it out to a few people, um, but uh, I I didn't really want to go down that route. I wanted to be sort of in control of things. I'm quite, um, yeah, I'm quite anxious about handing things over. So, well, <laughs> so um, I mean, as you know, book reality experience, we're, we're advocates for independent publishing. Yeah. We, we couldn't be more happy that more and more authors independently publish and take the reins mm-hmm. themselves because it does it gives you a lot more control about the um the creative side of things but it you know down from cover design to the interior format to everything that you can control plus it's also fairer because you get a much better say of the royalty so that's a a, a much better outcome yeah i i also a lot of um publishing houses at the moment i don't really know who I would uh, I would send work out to because uh, it seems as though everything like a machine just churning out books and they don't really seem to care um, whether it's somebody who's controversial. They're like uh, somebody who maybe doesn't have the best scribbles <laughs> or morals. And so I wouldn't want to feel like um, if I was published by um, a publisher who comes along and um, picks somebody who doesn't, who has uh, opposing ideas to mine. And, you know, I w- wouldn't feel like I could back that publisher then. So, so wouldn't it comfortably if they were publishing people who had a, a, a moral undertone that you didn't agree with or, or it didn't yeah. sit comfortably? Yeah, everything's very um, polarised at the moment. You know, people have strong feelings one way or another politically. And um, if somebody <laughs> was published that was the um, opposite to me, I wouldn't feel very um, confident in the publisher anymore. So I think the only person I know that definitely has the same morals as me <laughs> is me. So. Well, that's a, that's <laughs> as good a reason to go independent and and added to all the other reasons for control, for making mm-hmm. sure that your copyright is yours, that your creative uh, input is valued for everything that it should be. So it's an excellent yeah. decision. I think it's it's good. Um, as we would advise all writers, though, if you do decide to get assistance with any of the aspects of it, make sure the company that you've gone to, you've researched them, you've gone into detail, because unfortunately, there are certain companies out in the independent space of assistance um, and assisting yeah. authors that are far from scrupulous. So, yeah, I know. I've 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 uh, been contacted by a few places, and I think, well, if they're contacting me, then they're <laughs> they're probably not um, <laughs> they're not probably not the best people because um, I, I've noticed a few. I'm on a lot of um, Facebook forum things and. Um, I notice a lot of people and uh, there's this a certain publishing house that contacts a lot of people and says we will we will publish your book just pay us a thousand pounds or something and it's like well <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe have a good look into those people before you say yes we we won't mention their names but there are a number of companies out there and the biggest red flag of all in fact one of our other authors in one of the other interviews that we've done has said the same that the biggest red flag of all is 
no publishing house, no assistance service, no agent will cold call you. That's not how it works. And, and if you yeah. are getting cold called, then that's when you want to run away quickly. Um, yeah. Listen, yeah. thank you ever so much for your time this afternoon. Um, or is it still been just this afternoon with you? It's now? just this afternoon. <laughs> um, what we're going to do is, if you're willing, I've got 15 quick fire questions to, to throw your way. Um, it's it's kind of like the actor's studio questionnaire, but it's the book reality author studio questionnaire. So if you're if you're okay. up for these, okay? Yeah, sure. What's your favorite book? Oh, um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Rebecca by um, Daphne du Maurier. Okay. Um, <laughs> what's your least favorite book? Oh. Uh, Oh, can I pass on that one? Because I don't, I don't know if I can, I can genuinely say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll let you away with it, and then I'll ask you off camera, and then I'll figure out whether we, we slot it back in later. Um, um, what turns you on? Do you know what? I wouldn't have said this um, about two years ago, but editing. I really, I'm really enjoying editing uh -huh. at the moment. <laughs> oh. Oh, you are a strange, strange person. <laughs> I know I know quite a lot of authors are now going to be looking at you thinking, and she seems such a nice person. Yeah, I know. Um, They'll be deleting Conversely, then, phone. what turns you off? Anything that um, is generally sort of stereotypical, um, that, that does, isn't very well researched, it's just, you know, it's just a stereotype. They've just they've not they've not gone for a, a, a second layer. They've not they've not so really done that's any just writing in troops, that type of thing. Yeah, so the, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> the tall, dark, and handsome vampire who yeah, all that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly it. Um, I think I'm going to guess this one, but uh, summer or winter? Oh, uh, no! Do you know what winter? I do actually really enjoy winter. I'm I'm not a great person during the summer. I get headaches and hives and nose bleeding and <laughs> everything. I'm terrible. And you've got Northern Irish complexion now, so go yeah, out. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's what it is. Yeah, we it takes us two months to go from blue to white. Um, <laughs> on a completely free day to do anything you want, who do you spend it with? Uh, my kids. Um, they're, they're 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 downstairs now being very quiet for me but um yeah they the both of them are as much storytellers as I am they're they, in fact they're better they come up with better lines um just straight off and I, I don't even know how they do it <laughs> nice work mountains or oceans uh oceans absolutely and what's your favorite movie oh do you know what? I'm going to be honest. It's Wayne's World 2. <laughs> <laughs> I could lie and say The Godfather or something like that, but it is. It's Wayne's World 2. I, I watch it every time. Excellent. Um, one song that you get to listen to for the rest of your life and only one song or a piece of music? I tend to listen to a lot of Florence and the Machine, but I don't think I could listen to that forever. So I'm going to say... I'm gonna be I'm gonna to be topical and say Kate Bush about uh, babushka. Oh, okay. Because that's that's great for kicking your legs up. I'm <laughs> enjoying it. Um, who makes you laugh the most? My husband does. We've been we've been together twenty years, and he still makes me laugh every day. Oh, that's which is, good. Yeah. 
Nice work. Is he <laughs> from Northern Ireland originally? He is, he is, he is from Bushmills. So ah, <laughs> one of the best whiskey in the world. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, what smell do you love? Smell. Ooh. Um, do you know I am a big fan of perfume. I wear perfume every day, but um I can't I couldn't I couldn't even tell you what what smells they are to be honest I'm not I've I've, I've got quite bad sinuses so <laughs> I hardly ever can smell anything um so then the next one's going to be an interesting question what smell do you hate oh no I know that um cin- cinnamon um I mean in general I don't like cinnamon okay. um, I'm, I'm good when it's at Christmas but <laughs> other than that no, <laughs> no. um other than uh, being a writer, what profession would you like to attempt? Human rights lawyer, which was what I wanted to be from about the age of five. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I really, a human yeah. rights lawyer. Very good. Yeah, I, I, want, I wanted to be one right up until I was uh, 18, 19, and we were picking um, universities. And then I realized after doing work experience that you don't get a lot of time to sit about and write. So <laughs> I chose writing instead. <laughs> <laughs> and what profession would you definitely not like to do? Oh, I've worked in a petrol station and I would never go back there ever again. If, if, even if somebody said you were get paid um, a million pounds, no, not a chance. No. <laughs> okay. No. And if God exists, or if heaven exists, rather, what would you like God to say to you when you arrive there? I would hope he would say, you're on time for once. <laughs> because I, I never am. I never am. So So you're going to be late for, um, stereotypically, you're going to be late for your own funeral. I would say, I would say. The only thing I was ever early for was my um, wedding. Uh, I think I got there 20 minutes early, but... Um, somebody didn't turn up and they had to hold off the wedding for quite a while until <laughs> until they were seated. So. Oh, good work. Hey, listen, um, carry on. Thanks ever so much for your time today. That's really well, thank good. Thank you. Um, good luck with the new book. And I expect you to be posting on Instagram and Facebook and let us all know when it comes out. And um, I, for one, will be definitely looking forward to read about Miss Lavery. <laughs> thank you. No worries. You take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this latest episode of Book Realities, our Interviews with Authors series. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and turn your notifications on so that you never miss any content updates from us. If you liked this episode, leave us a rating or a review as it really helps the podcast's visibility, as does passing the pod on to any writers or author friends that you may have who you know will be interested in it. And join our exclusive mailing list at www.bookreality.com. The next episode will be released this time next week. But until then, stay safe and well. All the best. <laughs>